Good morning. We'll start out looking in Romans chapter 12. We'll be in verse 2. Brother David, pray for us. Pray for us, please. <clears throat> yeah, I don't either. I'm getting to where I don't even think well. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Does Miss Peggy accuse you of just hearing whatever you want to? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you get the elbow. That's right. So Romans twelve chapter uh, Romans chapter twelve verse two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable, and perfect will of God. I used to work with a guy out, well, in the Boston area, and this cat was your typical, uh, he was your typical northern guy, I'm not disparaging anybody here, but he was really enamored of southern traits and southern speech and mannerisms and all that, and we were sitting around at break one day, and I said something, I don't even remember what had happened. But whatever it was, I just I made mention that kind of, that kind of stuck in my crawl. Well, I had to explain that to him. A couple of days go on, something happens to him, I don't know what. And he said, boy, that really sticks in my crawfish. <laughs> well, every once in a while I get something stuck in my crawfish and it just won't come out. I just, it just will not leave. It just bothers me. It, I just, I dwell on it. And the question I would like to ask in this scenario is why will that not come out? Why will that not leave? And I think the answer that I have found, if I want to be truthful, is it won't leave because I won't let it. I get fixated, and I say I, I'm talking about, I guess, pretty much everyone. We get fixated on an offense, whether that offense is real or imagined. Y'all will have to excuse me. I can't stand looking over these glasses, but I can't see without them. <laughs> well, we get fixated on that, and we live with it, and we nurse it, and we... Before long, that offense has become an aid to us. And by that, I mean, imagine this. You're going along and everything's fine. Everything's great. Then you encounter an event or someone that is an affront to you. Now, most Christians have enough spirituality about them that they're not going to have a public blow-up. But what about later on, when you're all 
alone. You're by yourself, and you can inflict unspeakable torture on whoever offended you in the privacy of your mind. I hope I'm not the only one in here that does that. <laughs> now every time you see that person, you know that you're justified in feeling the way that you do because of what they did to you or what they said about you or the situation that they put you in, and it wasn't your fault. And you're, you know that, that you're right in feeling that way. Well, what if you find yourself in the worst possible situation for a child of God? What if you find yourself offended at the very God that you claim to love and have pledged to serve? Now, the immediate reaction to that statement, I think, is, oh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And again, I'm going to say, I hope I'm not the only one in here that, that's ever experienced anything like that. Well, have you ever needed something, not wanted something, not even really wanted something? My daddy used to say, if you want something long enough, you'd start needing it. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you really needed something. Maybe it was spiritual. Maybe it was physical. Maybe it was material. Whatever the case, you needed that thing. And you sought the Lord over that earnestly. And that help that you needed either didn't come in time, it didn't come in the form that you thought it should, or it just didn't come at all. And as a result of that, there was hurt associated with it. Maybe that hurt was spiritual. Maybe that hurt was physical. Maybe that hurt was material. Whatever the case may be. You couldn't understand why and you couldn't let go of it. The result of that is bitterness. And the result of bitterness is being offended at God. Now, in the, in the first scenario that I talked about, the result of that scenario is pride and selfishness. Look what happened to me. Look what they did to me. Now, through either or both of these scenarios, we'll find ourselves becoming increasingly more and more conformed to the thought and the process of the world, just as Paul cautioned us not to be. Well, how, how does that happen? In the first scenario, you see pride and selfishness at work, like I said. You're lifted up higher than the person that offended you. You have the moral high ground, and you're justified in feeling the way that you do. In the second scenario that I talked about, you see discouragement at work. You've been put so low that not even God himself cares about you anymore. 
Now, if you operate under either of these scenarios, both of these things that I've talked about are the extreme one way or the other. But if you operate in either of these realms, we'll find that we can justify anything under the sun that we want to think, say, or do. So how do you defeat that? Even better, how do you prevent that? Well, the answer to that is found in our text verse. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does that mean? Let's take a look at that phrase in a literal sense. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This passage gives the idea of a positional shift in our thought process. We're seeing things this way, but we need to see things this way. And it also implies the passing of time. Well, how does, how does that work? Well, let's take a look at those two things. If we have a need to be transformed, then we must not be where we should be, or we would have no need of a transformation. And not only, in particularly, if we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, I would say that we are not where we should be in our attitude. Just as the heart is the seat of our emotions, the mind is the seat of our attitude. The second thing I would say about that is that the, uh, the transformation follows the renewal. That's what I mean by the passage of time. You don't find the transformation in yourself until you have begun Maybe not completed, but at least begun the renewal of your mind. We don't have the proper attitude because we were transformed. We're transformed because we started getting our attitude right. And I think it's worth mentioning here that this is a separate issue than salvation. Now, Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. So it, this letter is predicated on the fact that the people that he's writing to are saved. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is not salvation. This is service. And even more particularly, more specifically, this is the process of sanctification. It's not going to be a one-time thing. It's going to be something that we work and, I guess you could even say, struggle with continually. The transformation here is the outworking of the inward work of salvation. So how do we renew our mind? How does this process work? Well, the first thing I would say, and I think I just said this, is that it's an ongoing process. Paul didn't say be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
He said, but by the renewing of your mind. Now, it may be a small distinction, but I think that it's worth making. There was a renewal of our hearts at salvation. Your heart was remade new when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I like what you said in the opening. And when you said that, I thought, boy, I'm going to remember that because that's, I'm going to say that again. And I, I forget, I've forgotten the exact wording that you used, but you talked about you could remember the feeling of being renewed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's what happens at salvation. Your, your heart is made new. Once we're saved, our hearts are fixed. They're unchanging. But our mind and our mood changes constantly, daily, hourly. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says that the inward man is renewed day by day. And I think that gives us the idea that this renewal process is something that you need to do on a daily basis. Our mind is the ruling part of us, so the renewing of the mind is also a renewing of the whole man. Not a renewal, but a renewing. As I said before, this is really the process of sanctification. Dying to sin more and living to righteousness more and more is the result of this daily renewing until that renewing is perfected in glory. So that's how it works. But how do you accomplish that? If you're going to tell me you need to do this, then I also want you to tell me how I should do that. I used to work for a guy a long time ago. I was young, but I've never forgotten this. He said, if I tell you go do so-and-so, he said, the end result is all I'm looking for. That's all I care about. But if I go to the trouble of explaining to you how to do it, and I have hammered this in my kids till they're sick of it. He said, if I explain to you how to do it, that is exactly how I want it done. Never forgot that. So let's look at our text verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, God's told us to do something here. Now, is he just looking for a result? Or did he explain to us how to do that? And I would submit to you that he did explain to us how to do that. I'll get to that in just a second. The way we accomplish this is pretty simple. But I think it's also going to illustrate the difference between simple and easy. And I think oftentimes that we confuse the two. There are a lot of things that are really, really simple, but they're monumentally hard to accomplish. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And we're about to find out how to accomplish this 
in a step-by-step fashion. Excuse me. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, Paul says to think on these things, to study them, to spend time studying them out, and spending time on these things will renew your mind to the things of God. And I said a minute ago that, that, that this was simple, and this is a simple instruction, but I think there's a lot more that is contained in this as well. So what, what are these things that Paul wants us to think about? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, and so on. Well, what are these things that we should be thinking about? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that, I believe, in the next verse. These things that we should think about are actions. And I believe you can see in the next verse that Paul realizes, and I'm not trying to speak for Paul here, but I think you can see that he realizes that Actions were first thoughts. And that's why he tells us to think on these things. And not only that, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Put those thoughts, those things that you are thinking about, put those into action. And the peace of God and the God of peace shall be with you. That, that last phrase there, that's not like yours truly, Jim, at the end of a letter. That's not a closing. It's been a long time since I've been in, in English class. I forget what the opposite of a salutation is, but that's not what this is. This is a list of actions and the result that will follow. If you think on these things, if you ponder these things, if you study these things and you put these things into practice, then this is what will happen. Now, let's go back to our text verse for a minute. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> I think in this verse, we need to focus on the word prove right here. And this word prove in this context is not a confirmation of something that is true, 
as much as it is a demonstration. What do you mean by that? Well, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is good and what is acceptable. Or what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Well, the transformation occurs in your mind on the inside. And the proving occurs on the outside. The transformation is for you. The proving is for the one who has their eyes on you. The proving is doing. It's not, it's not finding out for yourself that this is true. It's demonstrating, doing that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I, before I ever studied this, I, I always got stuck right there. Well, how do I prove that? I mean, how do I know? How do I figure that out? Well, in conjunction with Philippians chapter 4, you have the command to do and you have a detailed list of instructions of how to do it. And when you do these things, when you follow the steps that are given in Philippians, then you will find yourself proving, you will find yourself doing what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If you compare, and I'll, I'll close with this. If you compare our text verse with the two verses that you find in Philippians chapter 4, you see that they actually give the same instruction. I don't know how really you can separate these two in practical living. Romans 12 tells us what to do. And Philippians 4, 8, and 9 tells us exactly how to do it. Like I said a while ago, it's simple. Sometimes it's just not that easy. Chris, would you pray for us?